Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Thank you to 10XTO, the official athletic club of Matchpoint Canada. And we are on to our final episode from the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And Mike, what a whirlwind week capping with our championship Sunday. How, how exhausted are you? Well, I was just going to lead with it's our seventh podcast in seven days. <laughs> not to mention, I've written 10 tennis articles in the past nine days. Not wow. to mention all the work you've been doing, putting out all that video content with Nick McCarville this week. So I'm like super enthusiastic and excited right now. I'm probably going to be a little over the top. Okay. Because it's just all like building up to this. And then I realize, ah, we're going to get a break. And and not that we didn't enjoy it, not that we didn't love it, and not that I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But my mm. God, am I tired and ready to unplug for a few days after this? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I, I completely feel the same way. Like it's it's one of my absolute favorite weeks of the year being immersed at the tournament and, and doing so much work in particular this year. This was the most I think probably either of us have, have ever done. I, I can't speak for you, probably given all the writing you were doing. For sure, for sure. Uh yeah, myself and and Nick McCarville doing uh morning shows, which actually I would have done nine morning shows, which is a, a lot in that sense. And all the podcasts that we did, countless interviews, media day. I mean, the weekend before the tournament, there's there's irony in the sense if you work in the media in this field, in that like the championship weekend is actually the lightest weekend for her for us. Uh, and it just kind of you it gets know, better slowly, as you go along. Slowly winds down as you actually go later into the week and into the weekend. But uh, the first few days are incredibly hectic. And I mean, look at the storylines we had this week with like the bombshell news of Serena Williams uh, retiring. So, so much yeah. happening. It, it felt like we were working like 25 hour days. You know what I mean? Like we were, <laughs> we were getting home and getting to bed at like two in the morning only yeah. to, you know, my alarm would go off at 7 a.m. And, and then it would be like, oh, a radio hit or a TV interview or mm-hmm. just getting up and prepping for the day and wanting to be on site early not to miss anything. Like, oh, it's like Venus Williams last practice ever in Canada, potentially, or right. Serena's or whatever the case may be. Right. So. It was awesome. And leaving today, the site was like mixed emotions because you're saying goodbye to your sort of little Tennis Canada family. And I don't just mean people who work for Tennis Canada, but Canadian tennis family, you know, whether it be fellow reporters, uh, staff from the WTA that you've been working, you and I have been working so closely with this week, you know, constantly bugging them for interviews and and then being so good at granting us so many of those interviews. Uh, even the volunteers uh, in the media room that I've been seeing now for 14 years and, and you know, first name basis, recognize them. If I saw them on the street, I'd stop and probably give them a hug. You know what I mean? And uh, so just all of that, it's uh, it really is my favorite week of the year. And um, and I'm uh, that being said, I'm glad we're going to get a little break here coming up this week. <laughs> like I'm unplugging. I'm putting the phone away. Don't tweet me. Don't text me. Don't <laughs> tag me. Don't anything. Yeah. Um, but but it was a blast and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything either. I'll I'll keep tabs on uh, Cincinnati while you get a break, by the way. Okay. Don't worry. Because I'm not. Literally, I'm not going near Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm done with you, Twitter, for the next seven days. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, just getting to the tournament itself. And uh, for me, it was honestly a thrilling championship Sunday. I, I think you and I spoke about this uh, just on the grounds and just watching. Sometimes 
the finals that that you get in certain tournaments can be a bit of a letdown, uh, especially for the sense that's like heightening someone's going to win a trophy. You want this exciting match, and and sometimes it it really doesn't turn out that way. Uh, in this case, I thought we had a thrilling final with Simona Halep defeating uh, Beatrice Hadamaya of Brazil. A tough three sets, six three two six six three. A lot of tension rising in the third set. So many exciting rallies and points, key moments. Uh, yeah, the final had a bit of everything, and of of course we know Halep's history in Canada and what she's managed to accomplish here, and now winning uh, a third time the National Bank Open and first in Toronto. Pretty special for her. It was one of the better uh, finals that I can remember. And just to stick with women's finals, because we've been covering the women's tournament yes. in entirety, definitely one of the better women's finals that I remember seeing. Uh, it, I mean, it started out funny with, uh, not funny, but it started out with uh, Haddad Maya going out to a three-love lead. Halep getting four double faults in her first service game, kind of surprised at how it was going. Then Halep wins six in a row to take the first set, 6-3. Haddad Maya comes back to life in the second and just absolutely blasting the ball and going for it and hitting the lines, getting the corners to take the second set. And in the third, Halep sort of, uh, well, Halep went out to a two love lead. Then Haddad Maya tied it at two. Like this match had a lot of back and forth. So there was a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And that was amplified by all the Brazilian fans and even more Romanian fans that were there today. I mean, it felt to me like an international match. I didn't think. We were in Canada because of all, all the other <laughs> flags that we saw there. And it really had that, you know, Billie Jean King Cup, Davis Cup type international vibe to it. Although both sides, I thought, were being super respectful. But yeah. it was just the energy was so amped up. It was uh, it was a blast. I, I love the final today. Yeah, it was incredible. And uh, some just spectacular points. I think at one point, a, a thrilling 29 shot rally where Halep uh, closed it out. But you could see just the exhaustion on her face as she kind of dipped her head down low. Uh, Haddad Maya just absolutely clubbing the ball. As you said, that big lefty serve forehand combination she was going for. It. She knew she had to against Halep. And I love matchups where you do just have the dynamic and difference in game style. Uh, obviously, Haddad Maya, the super aggressive baseliner, and Simona Halep, a more counterpunch, counterpunching, movement-oriented player, always makes for fun matches. And, and this one went to the brink. And when it goes to the brink like that, it's it's so exciting because you know, okay, it's, it's going to come to an end after this one. There is mm-hmm. no fourth set coming. Someone's got to take it here. And I was going through previous uh, National Bank Opens, both the men's and the women's, and in the past 20 years, only six of the men's have gone to three sets and only four of the women's have gone to three sets. And wow. of those four years in the past two decades um, in the women that have gone to a third set, Simona Halep has played in three of those four finals, wow. which I just noticed and tweeted out before we we hit record here. And I was like, wow, that is pretty <laughs> impressive. That means that Simona is giving fans their money's worth. Uh, there was impressive. There was the impressive win over Sloane Stevens uh, yes. a couple of years ago between yep. the two of them, and and they had played the French Open final just a few months before that as well. So they were really developing a nice little rivalry there. And then there was the year uh, 2015 when Belinda Bencic won. It went to a third set, but unfortunately Halep had to withdraw. If memory serves me correctly, it was kind of like heat exhaustion. It was such a hot, humid day here, yeah. Um, and that took its toll on her, but dramatic entertaining finals you know when Simona's there it's going to be a good one 
Yeah, and uh, a great one it was indeed. We should mention the doubles final, Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula winning that title. Back-to-back titles now for them because they also won at the City Open in Washington the previous week. And a milestone win for Coco Goff, who uh, becomes the world number one in doubles at just 18 years of age, which is a staggering accomplishment in uh, her young budding career, which she thinks she is, continue- is just going to continue to soar uh, for anybody who had a chance to watch her this week uh she's incredible there's there's times where i worry like are we overhyping i don't just mean you and me but in general are we right. are we overhyping these young players and and i'm always kind of hesitant but then watching coco goff and and seeing what she's done in both singles and doubles and and watching her up close this week and and just how incredibly you know what a hustler she is out there how athletic she is um I'm just, I'm really blown away by it all. And I feel like this is a real deal player that we're seeing here at just 18 years old. And uh, not to mention how impressed I am with how she handles herself in press conferences. Mm -hmm. She gave some of the best quotes in the aftermath of Serena Williams retirement announcement about the impact that she had on her growing up. And uh, I'm sold uh, on Coco Goff and can't wait to see her again. I I can't wait two years for them to come back to Toronto. I feel like I'm going to have to go to Montreal next year to, I don't want to miss out on, on just watching what she does next on her return to Canada, because I think it's going to be great things in, in the future for Coco. Yeah, uh, I'm sure uh, the Montreal crowd will absolutely love her the way the Toronto crowd embraced her this week. She did go out to the quarterfinals to Simona Halep. Uh, just touching on the, the Canadian results in general before we get to maybe uh, Beatrice Adamaya, who we should talk about, but uh, Canadians, Bianca Andreescu uh, did go the furthest in singles, reaching the round of 16 before losing to Zhang Xinwen of China. Gabby Dabrowski did make the double semifinal. I have to say, um, when Gabby Gabby and Juliana almost did make that semifinal. I was getting very hopeful that we would get a doubles final showdown between Coco and Jessica Pagula and Gabby and almost because I thought that would have been very entertaining, but they bat out in the semis. And then uh, also just uh, Rebecca Marino going down first round. Layla Annie Fernandez winning that first match before losing to Haddad Maya, uh, who beat just about everybody this week but Halep you think she takes out the world number one Iga Sviantek uh, she had that big win over over Karolina Pliskova as well just such an impressive tournament from a player who's won two titles this season and this her first WTA 1000 final and uh, now she's broken into the top 20. Well I mean watching her this week to me was like how has this player not been a presence in the top 20 before in right. singles Uh Big game, um, composed out there, even when losing today against Halep. There's no like racket smashes or or audible, you know, moments of of losing her cool. I was just so impressed overall with her composure and approach and and what a big game she's got. And uh I I love seeing a player at our tournament have a run that's unexpected, someone we might not know as much about, someone the fans don't know as much about who just comes and brings it. And I'm super excited now. Like, I will never forget this. Just like when I saw Benchich in 2015, I really, you know, zeroed in on her career and have followed it closely since then. I mean, she's accomplished a whole lot since then too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be the same with Haddad Maya. And and I feel like even when I was a kid, when I'd see a player that had a big run in Canada at this tournament, I would follow them long-term. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of kids and a lot of fans that saw Beatrice Haddad Maya this week. And they're going to be interested to see what comes next. 
Yeah, and it makes obviously such a huge difference. You build that connection when you get to watch them up close. Uh, you mentioned Belinda Bencic. Chad Maya came back and beat her actually in a thrilling quarterfinal, two six six three six three. That was a huge win for her. At that point, I almost sensed like Bencic and Halep might be on on a collision course for the final. But Chad Maya getting the upset win there, and then beating Pliskova before falling to Simona Halep. Uh, just circling back, I guess, to the Canadians, and we'll start with uh, Bianca Andreescu. I suppose, what's your evaluation of, of her tournament and how she fared? Yeah, I mean, I feel like <clears throat> we've talked about, excuse me, the Canadians a fair bit this week. But uh, just to sort of say, you know, when you phrase it that she's made the final 16, that to me gives her performance this week a little bit more clout and merit than if we just say, oh, she won two matches or she made yeah. the third round. You yeah. know, she was in the final 16 in the draw yeah. where she hasn't had as much match play this year as others. And she's been facing brutal draws all over the place because she's not seated. And this is obviously a reality that she's going to have to face, but it's not an easy one. And uh, look, when you are off tour for a physical injury for, for some time, you get like a protected ranking, right? And I, I don't know, this is just popping in my head right now. So work with me here. But like, if you're off tour for, you know, your own mental health, I don't know if we'd ever get to the day where there's some sort of protected ranking for that too. And maybe yeah. that's a bit too much of a stretch and well, how do we, you know, validate that? Sure. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, as it occurs to me right now, um, she took time for herself to get better. She took time for herself to prioritize her own well-being, And um, yeah, just kudos to her for that. And I, I think it's going to take a little longer to get back into the top 20 by virtue of these tough draws, but I have the confidence that it's going to happen for her if she's playing regularly. Yeah, and I, I think I honestly think she's really, really close. Uh, I think all of us were maybe holding our correct collective breath after that first round win over Daria Kasakina, how much she was sort of fighting it physically and said she was uh, feeling terribly dizzy and, and nauseous afterwards. Uh, but but fighting through that, getting a good win over Elise Cornet, then going the distance against Zhang in a thrilling match. Uh, I For me, it was all positive signs. I feel like her game is very close to, to its peak. Leila Annie Fernandez, this was kind of the comeback from injury, which, uh, I mean, you touched on in different fashion, but uh, this is like coming back from a fractured foot. I know you and I were stunned that she was playing singles and doubles, um, but she got a lot of match play in this week, got a lot of intensive training and practice in this week, gets the match win to start against Storm Sanders, which she had to dig deep for. And that was a long, long match, a lot of court time, and then falls to uh, the eventual finest Beatrice Haddad Maya. I think also pretty positive for Layla. She gets two matches under her belt. She's hopefully not overworked and will be fresh for Cincinnati as well. Yeah, in Cincinnati, she's up against a big server. In, uh, is she playing Alexandrova, I think? That's right. Yeah, Yeah. so she's going to face a, a big serve there. But, you know, the, the good thing for Layla Annie, and this is you know the opposite of Bianca, is Layla Annie is going to be seated at bigger tournaments. Mm -hmm. uh, she is going to be seated at the U.S. Open. I, I wonder how she's going to deal with that pressure of being back there. And, and one could say the same for Emma Raducanu, probably an even greater pressure as the defending champion. But for Layla, too, being the finalist there last year. But I hope her and you know her father and her team don't put too much pressure on her because she's only going to go in with two tournaments under her belt in terms of getting acclimatized and and back into match play so for me at the u.s open regardless of what happens I, i'm not going to say oh i'm so disappointed that she went out in whatever round it is uh, i think we need to keep perspective and realize that yeah in all likelihood it's not going to be the second week of the tournament for layla annie 
Uh, that being said, if she has a nice draw and with her competitive spirit, I wouldn't rule anything out. But um, I, I think, you know, and the year is, is going to start winding down after the U.S. Open as well, especially on the women's tour. There's less tournaments in the fall. Um, I think to me, already kind of looking ahead, I would say if she's healthy, that 2023 should be, a, you know, hopefully a, a, a good progression for Layla Annie in her career development. Yeah, uh, well said. We we had other Canadians in action as well. I mentioned Marino did lose first round to Zhang in a tough three-set match. Uh, Catherine Sebov went out to Yulia Putinseva in a tough three-set match as well. And uh, in qualifying, the player that was the highlight for me was uh, Victoria Maboko, uh, who was battling on grandstand in a thrilling three-setter, losing to Claire Liu. But it was so competitive, so tight. She was serving over 180 kilometers per hour. She's just 15 years old i was stunned by the power and the athleticism how hard she hits the ball uh how well she moves around the court i believe she saved six or seven match points in that third set before lou finally um finally advanced but i was so impressed by Mamboko. people were chanting vicky in the crowd it was such a thrilling atmosphere and i think uh i i know we don't want to overhype anyone but uh, yeah i got the sense watching her that this is a very special player yeah, so let's maybe skip ahead here to our favorite player of the week or favorite players sure. of the week. And then we'll talk about our favorite matches. We'll just flip that in our little script here. But uh, because you mentioned Vicky Maboko, and to me, she was one of my favorites to watch because I hadn't seen her play up close before. Clearly, we had heard about how well she did in, in Saskatoon and at Wimbledon in the juniors, making the doubles final with Kayla Cross. But to see her up close, I mean, all those things you just mentioned also impressed me so much. And the power. I mean, I almost thought, like, is the serve gun off? Is it not <laughs> registering po- like properly? Because yeah. how can a 15-year-old be dropping serves that big? Um, those were rivalry, rivaling almost any of the, the pros that I saw this week in terms of the, the high end of, of what was going on there on the grandstand. So uh, very, very impressed. Excited to see what she does next. Uh, also with Kayla Cross. Um, mm-hmm. who I did get to interview, and we'll share that sometime later this summer. Uh, Kayla Cross, by the way, who's playing doubles right now in Vancouver with Jeannie Bouchard. What a pairing that is to have Jeannie come back. I'm going off the, the side rails here a little bit, but Jeannie back in competition for the first time since March 2021. A, great to see her back. B, how cool is it for 17-year-old Kayla Cross to find herself partnered in doubles with a established pro like Jeannie Bouchard? And the two of them, by the way, have in common both junior Wimbledon uh, doubles finalists. In fact, mm. Jeannie, I believe, won it in 2012. She definitely won the singles junior Wimbledon in 2012. And Kayla Cross being uh, a finalist just a few weeks ago in the junior tournament in in doubles there. So fun fact, fun connection. And uh, for me, yeah, Vicky and Kayla and just getting to see that next wave of Canadians who I felt really justified their qualifying wild cards by by having a strong, you know, strong go there. And I'm just going to mention now because uh, I just have it in front of me. Jeannie Bouchard and Kayla Cross did advance in their first round of doubles, defeating the Italian team of Bronzetti and Cocheretto, six one six seven ten four. So look at that oh, cool. first so match cool. of the first match in, uh, gosh, about a year and a half for Jeannie Bouchard. This one in doubles, getting a win uh, with teenager Kayla Cross. Super cool. And uh, yeah, Jeannie Bouchard. That's just additional news that uh, she's making a return here in Vancouver. Also playing singles. That's that's probably a good sign uh, for her. Shoulder. Um, 
So did you sort of give your is his favorite player of the week, the Canadians? Yeah, uh, I'm going to say in, okay. in particular, Vicky Maboko. I was really okay. excited by what I saw there. So uh, I'll stick with that. Cool. Uh, I will go. Um, this is maybe a surprising one. I'm going to go with Zhang Xinwen, who uh, was the one who defeated Bianca Andreescu in the round of 16, 7, 5, 5, 7, 6, 2. She's a 19-year-old uh, up-and-coming talent incredible baseliner she's very athletic in the way she moves as well uh her backhand fantastic shot and i i was just so impressed just even in that atmosphere at sobe stadium you know the crowd is all pulling for bianca <laughs> she doesn't have much fan support in that scenario and for her in sort of a pressure situation in the third set to raise her level the way she did i was really really impressed uh, with the tennis she produced and and the fact that, uh, you know, Bianca in press afterwards said, I didn't feel like I played badly. I felt like Zhang played great. Bianca said she she knows she can play better, but she was impressed as well by her level. And she really pushed Karolina Pliskova to the brink as well in the quarters. That went three sets as well. So I think that's another young rising star. I believe she's just inside the top 50 right now and rising. She nearly made the semifinals of this tournament. So it's kind of like another another star that was formed in front of our eyes alongside Beatrice Haddad Maya. I was really impressed watching Zhang. Yeah, same. I didn't get to see as much of her as I think you did. And uh, part of me probably thought with Bianca after she took out Kasakina and took out Cornet that, uh, okay, this next one actually to me yeah. seems like it may be the most reasonable one of <laughs> right. the three. And surprise, surprise, especially with a 6-2 scoreline in that in that third, third set. So, um, yeah, interesting to note. Uh, definitely someone we have to keep an eye on moving forward. And Let's see now. I always like to see back-to-back tournaments, except I'm not mm-hmm. going to watch Cincinnati this week, but how do players then perform in that in that next one? And it's such a short turnaround. Like, here we are wrapping up the National Bank Open, and yet on, you know, social media, I'm seeing all these players now posting about Cincinnati because it's already getting going with qualifying and whatnot, and there's just no rest. Uh, Beatrice Dadmaya, I think, has a Monday match. Um, Simona Halep said she's not going to be able to really celebrate her win here, her celebration <laughs> yeah. is going to be to be back on court practicing in Cincinnati to get used to that tournament. And that's how it is. So any celebrations, I guess, for most of these players going to have to wait till the end of the year because uh, there's there's no rest right now. They got to keep pushing forward. Yeah. And look, uh, Coco and Jessica Pagula hopped on a private jet right out of Toronto right after they won that doubles and did press quickly. And, and they were off to Cincinnati as well. No rest for them either after winning a title. Um did you have a favorite match of the week? I had a bunch. And before I talk about my favorite match that I saw this week, I want to talk about some of my favorite matches that I didn't get to see this week. Because okay. especially early in the tournament, like on a Monday or Tuesday, you're looking at the order of play and you've got like six courts that are all in action and you want to time it because you want to see more than one match. So you're kind of looking at matchups and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to start here, then move to this court. Then maybe I'll sneak over to this one nearby before I go back. And, you know, you got like a plan in your mind. But there's some matches that were over so quickly that I couldn't get to them. So for me, I wanted to see Emma Raducanu. But before I knew it, boom, Georgie took her out 7-6 in the first set in a tiebreak. And in the tiebreak was Mm 7-0. And then 6-2 in the second set. Ah, I mistimed that one. I thought it was going to go to a third maybe, right? Pushkova defeated Anisimova. Two breadsticks, 6-1, 6-1. Holy smokes, where did that happen? (laughs) I came over to the court. I remember saying to the usher, where are the players? Yeah. Like, oh, they just left the, the, the court. What? Like a 50, 52 minute match. I didn't get a chance to see any of it. That's a um, shocker. 
And then one match I didn't get to see much of because it just went so so darn late was Teichman beating Venus Williams. And that night I could just not stay on site to 1.30 in the morning. So <laughs> those are three matches that I really wanted to see. And mm-hmm. for different reasons, I couldn't. Um, why don't you start with your favorite match of the week? Now I've told you the ones that were my favorites that I, I couldn't actually see. <laughs> No, well, that's fair. I think for me, my favorite match of the week was actually that Thursday night session with uh, Zhang Xinwen defeating Bianca Andreescu 7-5, 5-7, 6-2. Uh, I, I thought the level of play, just particularly kind of late second into early third set was very, very high. Also, it's just, as you know, we're moving around back and forth so much. That was the one, one of the matches I sat down and watched in its entirety. Uh, I, I saw that in, in its entirety. Like, I'd like to reference Goff and Sabalenka, which was phenomenal, but I only saw segments of it. Parts of it, right. Yeah, so, whereas I actually, you know, properly got to sit down in the stadium and watch all of Zhang and Andrescu, and I thought it was a phenomenal match. And for me, also, the final ranks is one of my favorites as well. Hadamaya and, and Halep was was a terrific, terrific battle. So I'll pick those two. That um, one was fun. The final was a fun final, as we said before. And I mean, when it's the final, you're not getting pulled to any other side courts, right? right. To watch any, exactly. There are no other matches. So that was, I think, the only match this week that I watched pretty much in its entirety because... I, I can't sit still at a tennis tournament. I'm just, I'm too excited by the prospect of what am I missing? I got like FOMO, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what am I missing on the other courts? I'll, um, uh, I'll give also an honorable mention to uh, the first set. I mean, there wasn't a second set, but the first set between Paula Bedosa and Yulia Putinseva. Uh, Putinseva completely flipped the script in this match, and she started changing variety, hitting some unbelievable backhands. There were some intense, intense rallies uh, in in that first set, and that's kind of why Paula Bedosa physically broke down after. Um, she was really struggling to hold serve and and sort of wore down. So uh, that was that would be an honorable mention for me. If I had to pick a favorite match of the week, and not necessarily because the tennis was of the highest quality, but uh, Serena Williams' first match um, against Parizas Diaz, because maybe it was the last win of her career that I got to see there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope she has success in Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. But just being there and and knowing, hey, this this could be the last time I see her if she loses, then seeing that she got the win and she had to fight there in that second set uh, to close it out. And just enjoying those few glimpses of Serena. She wasn't her best, but getting a few moments where, oh yeah, there's the serve, there's the forehand, Mm -hmm. there's that killer instinct closing it out at the end. And just, you know, the nostalgia in that from 25 years of getting to see her as a professional tennis player, it just felt special. And in the second match against Benchich, where you pretty much knew slim to none her chances of being able to get through Benchich at this point, just savoring it and staying there. That was another match I watched in its entirety. Yeah. And just trying to soak in every last crowd cheer, every last winner, every last fist pump, uh, because you know you're not going to get to see it again live. Yeah, that's uh, completely accurate as well. Actually, I, I did sit down and watch all of that one with Belinda too, uh, which was very, very special just being in that stadium. Okay, uh, I know we did many of them. What was the favorite interview you had from the week, would you say? Oh, yeah. Favorite. Oh, yeah. And then we have an interview that we got to uh, plug here as well. Yes. It slipped my mind true. at the start of the show. So we'll, <laughs> we'll save that, but let's not forget it. Um, sorry, ask me the question again. <laughs> oh, your favorite your favorite interview that you had actually. Oh, right, the week. right, right. Okay. All right. Yeah. My bad. Um, Simona Halep. Um, okay. Because it's always nice when you interview a player at one stage of the tournament and then they go on 
to have great success. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you feel like, okay, good. None of my questions like put them in a bad mind frame where then they went out and lost their next match. And it was just, it was a nice setting. We had the entire press room to ourselves instead of our little match point Canada office. So it it felt like a bigger space. Um, Our photographer, Nina Channon was there. Uh, She's at images by Nina on Twitter, by the way, and Instagram. Uh, And she got some, some pictures of me interviewing Simona and a nice shot of the two of us at the end. Um, And yeah, just getting to talk to her about, I mean, I've talked to Simona before, um, but this one asking questions about her, rediscovering her passion for the game about her new coaching partnership with Patrick Muradoglu. It felt very fresh, even though I've talked to her a lot in the past and then to see her have the success she enjoyed on Sunday and to win the tournament. um, Just an added bonus too, I think. Yeah. Very, very cool that you got to speak with the eventual champion. My pick I'll go with uh, Yulia Putinseva again, because it was one of the more fun off color interviews I think I had of the week. And she's such a character and from my understanding, she rarely, if ever, grants interviews. Uh, so it felt like an exclusive and an opportunity to learn a bit more about her, which was really cool. And and also kudos to Belinda, Belinda Benchich as well. She was super generous with her time speaking with me and shared some great words about Serena ahead of her match with Williams, did so after, very, very classy after that victory, handing the mic over to Williams. And they had a nice warm embrace at the net. So I uh, also really enjoyed speaking to, the, to Belinda, which we've spoken to her in the past yeah well said and i'm sure we'll have her on again i kind of we made nice with her agent there as well so uh yeah you know that should bode well for us who's also working with bianca andrescu so oh there yeah. you go <laughs> uh, now look the the last interview uh that i conducted this week uh was with one of the ball crew uh i had a member of the ball crew and i had one of their crew supervisors as well on today for something a little bit different uh, to show a little insight to the pressures of that role, which is not one that I ever... Did you ever... Were you ever a ball kid growing up? I wish, no. <laughs> no, I wasn't either. I would have loved it. I don't know why my, my parents... If you're listening, mom and dad, why didn't you put me into ball crew tryouts back when I was growing up in Montreal? I would have loved that. Yeah. Uh, but I had uh, Priscilla Boulandres, um, who I touched base with this week on site and, uh, and had the idea. It was kind of like I just saw her running around and I'm like, oh, hey here's a thought. And she was totally up for it. So thank you, Priscilla. And she brought in one of the veteran, uh, I don't want to say ball kid, he's 17 years old, Aaron mm-hmm. Ginsburg. And Aaron, you were awesome as well. And thanks for sharing your time. They came in about an hour before the championship match. And like, man, if I'm on the ball crew, I'm probably wanting to get into that mind frame and be at my best. Maybe I'm doing like warm up drills in the hallway. I don't know. But he was so kind to come in and take the time. So here we go. Let's listen to my interview with Priscilla and Aaron shedding some light on what it's like to uh, work on the National Bank Open ball crew. Excited for a special feature here on Matchpoint Canada on Championship Sunday. I'm joined by Priscilla Boulandres, who is ball crew uh, chief. Uh, I want to say ball crew queen, but uh, part of the ball crew uh, program here at the National Bank Open in Toronto and Aaron Ginsberg as well, who's one of the uh, veteran uh, ball crew members here as well in Toronto. Uh, thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Priscilla, we'll start with you um, since you're at the upper echelon of the ball crew pyramid. Uh, tell us a bit about your background with the ball crew here at the NBO. So I started back in 2008. I was a rookie back in 2008 um, on the ball crew, and I was on the crew for seven years. 
And then I actually worked for Tennis Canada as an intern for a year. And then I came back and joined the committee with the ball crew. So I am back now on my home home room, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, we call it the jive, actually. And now I get to watch these kids kind of go through the same thing that I went through. You've obviously got a, a big passion for tennis and um, and I guess for the ball crew as well then to be still doing this, eh? Absolutely. I mean, I have a big background in tennis. I played NCAA tennis uh, through my undergrad and uh, coming home during summer was always like a huge highlight and everybody looks forward to these nine days of just pure bliss and fun and uh, lots of sunshine for these kids, lots of running around, lots of sweating, but they love what they do and it's so cool to see how passionate they are about it now as well. So tell me, who did you bring with you today and and how did you choose Aaron to uh, to come along as uh, as the rep for the ball crew this year? So I brought Aaron Ginsberg. He is a four-year ball kid. This is his first time making the final cut. Very uh, exciting. For ball kids, <laughs> and he's a fantastic kid. He gets everyone hyped up, and he loves what he does, and he was an easy pick for me to choose to come do this podcast. Oh, very nice. Well, Aaron, thanks for being here. Um, so talk about how you got your start maybe being part of the ball crew in Toronto. So I first tried out in 2017, and I did not make it my first year, my first year trying out. But then I came back because I, I love, like, I love, like, the the committee and I love like my cousin does it and and like I I just really wanted to be a part of it so I came back and I I tried again and I made it and then my first year I like I just had so much fun I didn't I wasn't the best ball kid because I didn't really know much of like how everything works but then but then as I got like as I go to like my second year my third year now it's my fourth year I kind of have an idea of how everything works and I just have such a blast every single time I come back good story and perseverance that even though you didn't make it the first time you came back out what's that tryout process like for uh, the ball crew what do you guys have to go through yeah so the first tryout you that they, they test you on like the basic like running throwing and catching they do separate drills and and if you make it through that they call you back two weeks later and see how you would perform during a match and if you make it through that then you're officially a Rogers Cup National Bank Open ball kid. <laughs> I, I've made that comment so many times throughout the <laughs> tournament too. Old habits die hard, eh? The old Rogers Cup and before yeah. that Canadian Open. Uh, what's the hardest part of, uh, of being a ball kid? Because I think a lot of people look at it, oh, it's just they're throwing the ball, they're catching the ball. But, uh, you know, without ever having been in that position where you're under pressure, the players want to have it for their serve and all that. What, what's the toughest part for you? I th- well, t- there, are, there are some tough things. And one thing to go through is the heat because it, it gets really, really hot out there. So we drink a lot of water and but then another another tough thing is seeing at the net where the correct corner is to throw the balls because some players are a bit picky and take a bit balls from from the from the from the same spot from the same spot or and they switch it up sometimes but either way it's uh, it's either way it's so much fun <laughs> who who are some of the tougher players to um you know perform for out there who are maybe a little bit more demanding in that sense um i don't I don't remember don't remember exactly who, but I I, st- I still remember there was one that took from a corner that I thought they would take from another one, and I threw it to the wrong side, and that it, and that that was that was a bit challenging. <laughs> what is the most rewarding uh, part of the job for you after doing this now for four years here? So what's what the most rewarding is just make, making so making so many friends and like I like a lot of these guys I recognize through uh, I play tennis at through the OTA, I, some of the guys I recognize. And but like th- when we all come together in the ball crew, I, g- I get along with them so much better. And it's just I have such a great time. Sounds yeah. like a big family. It's really nice. And uh, 
Any moments that stick out for you this year in terms of a favorite match that you worked, maybe? Oh, my favorite match by far was Serena Serena Williams against Belinda Bencic, and I was running net for that one, and I and I had it was so much fun being being on court with some with some of my some of my idols, and like it was it was just really really cool. That's a pretty <laughs> neat story. You're gonna be able to tell your your kids one day that you got <laughs> to work her final ever match in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it was it was unbelievable, and the and the atmosphere of the crowd was incredible. It was fully sold out, and it was just so it was just so so loud, and it was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, uh, to finish off here, uh, one question for for both of you, I guess. But uh, as a ball kid, I would imagine that aside from a match like Serena's last match, which you can't predict when that's going to come along, the final is the big one that I'm sure all the kids would like to do. How do you guys decide who gets to work that last one? So we have an annual Fing Fong Fooey, so rock, paper, scissors, uh, that we do every Sunday, and it is reserved for the final Sunday only, and we take our top two captains, so the best of the best um, leaders that we have on crew, and they go best four out of seven on Fing Fong Fooey. And it gets pretty wild. They all have a walkout, and uh, they have their hype crew, their, their teams behind them, and the team who wins the Fing Fong Fooey gets choice of match. And it's uh, this year they actually chose the singles, though I think the doubles is also going to be a very good match out there as well. So even whoever loses the rock, paper, scissors gets at least one of the two championship matches. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Right on. Cool. Um, Priscilla, what's the process like for any kids out there listening or parents who are listening who want to get involved in the ball crew here at the National Bank Open for 2023 or beyond? Yeah, so registration for tryouts will open in February. So on the Tennis Canada or the NBO website, when you click the volunteers page, uh, there's a separate link for ball crew as opposed to the regular volunteers. So you register your child for the ball crew tryouts, which run end of April, give or take, is usually the first tryout. And then we go through the tryouts. Again, we talked about this earlier, but we, we uh, they get scored on throwing, catching, speed. And if they make it through that cut, then we bring them back either a week later or two weeks later. Um, and we run them through match play. And if they make it through that, then they are welcome into August on our crew. And then they're welcome back every year after that. Very cool. You don't have to go through the tryout process more than once no. if you're successful. Okay. <laughs> Just once. Good. And and what's the minimum age? I've got my oldest is turning nine in September, and he's already asking me, Dad, when can I go out for those tryouts? How old do you have to be? So by the end of the year, they need to be 12. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's got a few more years to go. Exactly. We'll keep practicing in the backyard. <laughs> keep them throwing. Keep That's them catching. That's it. Okay, Priscilla Belandris and Aaron Ginsberg, thank you both for taking the time to share with our listeners a little insight into the ball crew and uh, all the best today in the finals for you, Aaron. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's awesome. Take care. There you have it, Mike's interview with Aaron Ginsberg and Priscilla, uh, members of the MBO Ball Crew. I should mention as well, we did a cool feature on the MBO Ball Crew as well for the morning show, and that should be on the Tennis Canada YouTube page as well. It, it's such a like cool, it's almost like the feel of summer camp. They have yes. so much fun for the week, and there's such great camaraderie. I think you honestly, uh, these kids build friendships for life, right? And and that's, you know, it's funny, that's exactly what Aaron said to me, was that the, the sense of community community they're like a family uh get so close over the course of the week and not just the course of the week but he said it's like a family that then you see them again next year right and um so it's his fourth year of participating obviously 2020 was lost otherwise it would have been his fifth year um and this year priscilla was telling me they had a lot of new ball kids um because they didn't have experienced ones from two years ago and even last year was a reduced number because the tournament was um, you know, not on as many courts and whatnot. So 
Uh, I didn't notice any of them uh, seemed like rookies out there. I thought all thought they did a great job. And thanks again, Aaron and Priscilla, for joining me. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. Just very quickly before we go in Montreal, Pablo Carreño Busta uh, winning the first Masters 1000 of his career, rallying past a Hubert Hurkacz 366-363, one of the more unlikely champions, certainly, in the tournament's history. He was ranked 23rd coming in. He'll move up to 16. So uh, congrats to Carreño Busta, who honestly has a, a very underrated career. He's won seven singles titles now, two uh, U.S. Open semifinals appearances, the bronze medal in Tokyo, defeating Djokovic uh, the other year and a couple quarterfinals at the French Open. So uh, PCB is is one of those. PCB, RBA, those are the two kind of underrated Spanish bulldogs. I picked RBA to go further in this tournament, actually, so I wish you hadn't mentioned his name. But anyhow, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Ben, I know we've only got three minutes before our podcast turns into a pumpkin here, but we got to do our bracket challenge for tomorrow for Cincy. I think you've yes. already, but I haven't. So this is me reminding myself very good to go and do that so that we can you know beat our french counterparts at sur la ling the uh, tennis canada podcast from quebec by the way the comms department in montreal and toronto i don't know if i told you this or not have a little side bet about which podcast finishes higher in the bracket challenge this oh, year oh wow okay pressure is on so we gotta time. bring it for stefan and we for got, patrick okay, okay we gotta we gotta really really deliver for cincinnati just quickly felix ogiali seemed got the furthest of any canadian as we know making quarterfinals before uh, losing to casper rude and a surprisingly one-sided lopsided match a bit of a clunker from felix first two matches exciting and thrilling he'll move on to cincinnati hopefully with a bit of confidence denis shapovalov not much to say here. Slump continues. He's dropped nine of his last 10. So uh, we'll we'll start talking about Dennis when he starts winning. How about that? Dennis is making me feel good about my tennis these days. And that's <laughs> a problem right there. Okay, that's yes. a major, major it's, problem. It's something that needs to be fixed. Vashik Pospisil, he hasn't played much this year. He lost to Tommy Paul. He's in Vancouver this week. I hope he can have a good showing there. Uh, Alexi Gallarno making his uh, main draw singles debut. Lost a, a pretty tight two-set match to Grigor Dimitrov. So I think that great experience uh for him uh just quickly before we wrap up serena williams in cincinnati against emma raducanu uh thoughts on that match i'm going with serena on this one i think she's gonna take it the experience I, is gonna mm-hmm. and the crowd support in the u.s is gonna i think work to her advantage I'm kind of leaning the same way. I, I kind of think Serena can pull this one off. We'll see. That should be a great tournament. It's been an unbelievable tournament covering uh, the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. Thanks to 10XTO once again for being the official athletic club of Matchpoint Canada. Mike, any last words before we say goodbye? Yeah, Ben, had a blast doing these daily podcasts with you. Um, again, you know, being back on site and getting to do it as much as we did day after day. Loved it to all the help and support and our listeners and the engagement on social media. We loved it. So keep it coming. And I'm excited for going back to our weekly podcast now moving forward. Thank you so much, everyone. We will talk to you next time.